0: Welcome to the Gordon Asset Management Podcast, a show for savers, investors, and entrepreneurs, helping you to stay informed, invest wisely, and achieve the unimaginable. Now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Gordon Asset Management Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Todd Zempel. And today we have a very special edition of the podcast. We have a very, very special guest, Samantha Lau. Samantha is co-chief CIO for Small and Smid cap. Growth Equities for Alliance Bernstein. Uh, Samantha is an absolute rock star in Wall Street. She has a track record like none other. Uh, We're very honored to have you today. Samantha, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me today.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Samantha, just for our listeners, can you provide a little background on yourself and and describe your role within Alliance Bernstein?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I started at Goldman Sachs right after college as a research associate on the sell side. So I knew I wanted to be on the investment side of things. So I moved to the buy side about three years later and landed at a boutique growth shop right here in Manhattan. And that's when I started following the technology sector in 1997. So I could say I've been through a few market cycles. And since joining AB in 1999, I have continued to focus on small cap growth. So in addition to being the co-CIO of the overall strategy, I'm responsible for sourcing all technology ideas. I live and breathe small cap every day. There's never a dull moment. <laughs> and currently, we run two portfolios, small cap growth and discovery growth. Using an identical process, it's just a different benchmark. So A, B, discovery growth skews a little bit larger in market cap because the benchmark is the Russell 2500 growth. Whereas the small cap growth fund uses the Russell 2000 growth as its benchmark, and the two together, we have built it into a 15 billion AUM business. And in 2020, our strategy was awarded by Lipper as the best small cap growth fund based on our 10 year performance. We're quite proud of that.
0: Very nice, very nice, and and yeah, absolutely. And that's a reason why you why we wanted you on the show. Uh, is you are an absolute rock star. Um, you know, looking at your numbers, um, specifically within the uh, small cap growth strategy, you know, last year that fund was up uh, over fifty percent. You beat the beat the index by over nineteen uh, percent. You look at trailing performance in that fund, uh, just absolutely smoke the index by all uh, measures. So uh, that's why we wanted to have you on the show. Um, we have many clients that that use your fund um, and have been very happy about the performance. Um, so to take a step back, can you walk us through uh, your process in selecting the actual securities that go into those funds?
1: Yes, yes. Um, our investable universe is clearly very large and very dynamic and volatile. So to be able to deliver that kind of consistent result, you must have a very disciplined and repeatable process. And ours has been battle-tested for over 20 years because that's how long we've been at Alliance Bernstein. It is unique because we incorporate a combination of bottom-up fundamental research with a quantitative overlay. So on the front end, we have a variety of screens. We first want to narrow down our universe to a bunch of companies that meet our growth liquidity and quality criteria and then the team which currently consists of five sector specialists will then go to go to work and dive into the fundamentals so we as growth investors we tend to be drawn to large market opportunities we always prefer to stick with the winners who are gaining share in these growing markets there should also be a defensible moat so that when they become bigger they should be able to expand margins command pricing power as they reach economies of scale So after we identify these fundamentally sound candidates, we then look at our quant model. So our proprietary quant model is a critical part of this process. Strong fundamental momentum, which is what we're looking for, tends to manifest itself into a bunch of quantifiable attributes that we can capture and analyze. So these attributes include positive earnings surprise, upward earnings revision, upward revenue revision and strong price momentum because companies that grow up faster than anyone expects tend to be pretty good stocks. So after we've done both the fundamental work and the quantitative work, the stocks that score in the top 30% in terms of their combined rankings are then eligible for purchase for the portfolio. In combination, this 2 pronged process ensures that not only do we have fundamental conviction on these companies but they've also been confirmed by that quantitative signal so the benefit of having a quant model is that it has no emotions it helps remove some of the investor biases that from time to time can get in the way
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense um you know and when i picture myself in your shoes right so you're sitting there In Manhattan, um, you have all this analysis in front of you. Um, Is it difficult to find opportunities that meet all your criteria? Um, Or or are there a wealth of opportunities and it's just a matter of picking the best ones?
1: In small cap, there's no shortage of opportunities. Everything is relative. In a world that we live in, there's so much change and change is accelerating. And as a small cap growth manager, we always have to be on our toes, right? I sometimes mm-hmm. use surfing as the analogy—not that I know how—but <laughs> it's like a wave. You gotta go with it. You see a bigger one, jump onto the bigger one. When it crashes, get out of the way.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting you make that comment. I, I know that in um, 2019, uh, Barrons did an article write up on you. Um And in that article, you said that the number 1 rule is to never sell half a position, and if you think something is wrong, exit and, and revisit. Um, you know, when I look for opportunities, these individual stocks that I buy personally, um, I have a very difficult time uh, selling. You know, I, f- I do all this work, I find the right stock, I buy it, and then I fall in love with it. Um, so I- explain your methodology and your thought on, on exiting and, 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 and uh, fully committing to these positions. Right, right. Smaller
1: cap companies are still rather immature. They may stumble because of internal execution or maybe new competition surfaces. What derails a growth stock is usually a negative change in the underlying thesis. It's not because you were wrong. Something changed. Now, they're usually yellow flags that precede a complete meltdown. Now, not all yellow flags are fluorescent in color that go blink, blink, blinks for you to get out. Mm-hmm. So when a little change in the armor, you often say to yourself, oh, maybe we'll make the position a little smaller so it wouldn't hurt as much. Let's see how it goes. But if you think about it, if you're nervous enough to want to sell half, just in case, you might as well just be honest with yourself and reassess the entire situation. A very simple smell test is, if you didn't own it yesterday, would you buy it today? And so companies that experience short-term setbacks, like competition and execution issues like I mentioned, they very rarely recover within three months. That is why there's zero correlation in earnings revision. If you see one estimate cut, there's usually another one in, in three months, and usually another one in the subsequent quarter. That's why it's called the cockroach theory, right? There's never just one. <laughs>
0: right. We
1: are much better off eliminating that opportunity cost and then finding something else that's timely. So in terms of the emotions, right? So that's why there's the quant model. The quant model would have picked up that negative revision and say, wait, hold on a second. The, confirma- uh, the quantitative signal is no longer confirming your fundamental thesis. What is the disconnect? And that's why it brings no emotion to the table, and we must, as managers, reassess the situation. It is called confirmation bias. So, when you think about biases, it is because we so desperately want to be right. We spend all that time coming up with the original thesis. We may not be able to incorporate new information that is actually material to the integrity of that thesis. You want to dismiss negative information. People only want to hear what they want to hear. So being honest with yourself is a very difficult thing to do sometimes, and which is why you need a team of professionals sit around the table and debate as such. If there is a thesis violation, we exit and revisit. Hence rule number one will always be rule number one.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's great. I appreciate your insight there. Um, You know, one, one of the things that uh, we're seeing more and more of is the, um, popularity of uh, these thematic type investments, thematic ETFs, innovation ETFs. That's, that's sort of the hot thing right now. Um, you know, as a, as a manager that fits within an asset class, what are your thoughts on that type of thematic investing? and, And is there a place for that within, uh, your, more asset-class-driven portfolio.
1: Yes. Innovation has been a theme for small and mid-cap growth for decades. Innovation is great. It drives productivity gains. It helps us do things faster and better than before. It helps sustain stronger GDP growth for longer. So high R&D spend is always a long-term positive for the economy. So when you think about small-cap growth, A lot of times, we may be creating new markets, but sometimes we're just disrupting existing markets in in terms of how do you do something in a better way, faster and cheaper. So innovation is here to stay. If you want to have an innovation fund in your portfolio, that's great. But remember, that is a satellite portfolio. It comes with a different risk profile because they all tend to be very high growth stocks that may have the valuation a little bit detached from the fundamentals in the short term. We're living in a very low interest rate environment, so people get very excited about longer-term opportunities because you are able to lengthen your horizon given very low discount rates. That scenario may change from time to time if we have a taper tantrum because the economy is strong and the Fed eventually normalizes interest rates. You may see multiple contractions. So, I think there should be a risk budget for something like these thematic funds, but you have to be aware of the risk that comes with it.
0: Right. And many people are saying that valuations are indeed stretched right now, but uh, we're absolutely in this unusually low interest rate type environment where real rates potentially negative, depending on the day you look at it. Um, What are your thoughts on valuations in general? Mm
1: -hmm. So, as a growth investor, Valuation is always an art, not a science. Stocks don't blow because they're expensive. Stocks blow because something fundamentally has changed. Now, a lowly value stock is not necessarily cheap because it can be a value trap. But on the other side of the coin, a highly value stock is not necessarily expensive because the future potential has not been fully priced in, which is why valuation has expanded in this low-rate environment. For the most part, if these companies execute and they have a large market opportunity, they will not look as expensive in hindsight. Now, having said all that, I don't want you to think that it is not important because, like I said, fundamentals and valuation can become detached from time to time when people become overly excited and over-discount the opportunity. Now that multiples have expanded so much, since middle of last year, in anticipation of the reopening, we want to be more careful. The tide has lifted all boats. So as a manager, I want to make sure that given the already high earnings and revenue multiples, 2021 will be an earnings-driven year, not another multiple-driven year. That means companies will have to deliver stronger than expected results in order to, to, to differentiate themselves. The ones that offer the most upside in revenue and earnings revisions will be rewarded. And that's our job to find them.
0: That's interesting. Um, you know, I, I when we start talking valuation, um, I instantly go back to uh, my days in college. And I remember um, back in 2000, 2000 2001, some, sometime around then, I, I remember in my finance classes, uh, the finance professor always used... Uh, Amazon as the poster child for a stock with you, just a uncanny valuation. Um, and, and in reality, if I just would have thrown a couple hundred dollars in it back then, I'd probably be uh, worth a lot more money now. Um, so your your points on valuation absolutely make sense when, when talking about um, uh, growth-oriented companies. Um, now, Samantha, question for you. So this year we've seen just an unprecedented uh, unprecedented uh, amount of fiscal and monetary uh, response due to the COVID crisis. Um, do these macro-type moves impact positioning within the fund?
1: Mm-hmm. Our strategies are always primarily bottom-up driven. Macro inputs are part of the mosaic, but ultimately each individual position is there because we believe the company can fundamentally outperform the peer group and the market. Now that said, interest rates, discount rates, inflation, consumer savings rates, risk appetite, they are all relevant data points. We need to be aware of them. The stimulus is actually still working its way through the economy, and we've only begun to feel the velocity of that money supply, right? You look at the extra savings that you've had in the past nine months you're not eating out as much, you haven't been on that many vacations, right? That creates tremendous pent-up demand down the road. We've already seen some of that in housing, home improvement, and at some point, travel and leisure will recover. So that's a little bit of a top-down view to inform where we spend our time in identifying the next cohort of ideas. Another very important input is um, GDP. So currently, the bulge bracket firms have forecasted 2021 to be a 5% type year, plus or minus. If we get another round of stimulus, even if it's not 1.9 trillion, even if it's just half of that, we could see a scenario where GDP grows 6 to 7% in the United States in 2021. That is something we have not seen in over 15 years. If that's the case, then we have to tweak the portfolio a bit further toward companies that would disproportionately benefit from a strong macro tailwind and possibly away from what we call the steady-eddy ideas like consumer staples and REITs.
0: Interesting. Um, now, from a macro perspective, um, within Alliance Bernstein, <clears throat> I, I'd imagine you guys have a whole separate team of folks that that uh, just focus on the macro. Is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Our fixed income division has a very strong e- e- economics team.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm always curious about how you know within these large organizations, h- how is that information um, shared am- amongst these large teams? Many, many people, um, many, many people with very strong opinions, I'm sure as well.
1: <laughs> yes, that is true. But our economists. Um... He writes a lot of blogs. You're actually welcome to come to our AllianceBernstein.com website. And you see him opine on the economy quite often. He's very informative. I mean, there's a very collaborative firm. You know, Alliance Bernstein has that perfect combination of being not too small. So we have the scale and breadth of coverage, but we're not so large that we don't know one another and cannot have a conversation. It's a bit more challenging in the COVID world, but, you know, we've functioned perfectly seamlessly in Zoom. So it's been very collaborative.
0: That's good to hear. So um, I'm curious. uh, So are you still in Manhattan or are you doing uh, Zoom meetings from from the beach somewhere?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, we've been in Manhattan because my kids actually have some in-person schools. My son's actually back five days a week. I'm very happy about
0: that. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine.
1: (laughs) So we're here and i would love to see new york come back to at least 80% of what it used to be by the end of 2021 we need people to come back
0: yeah well i always have fun when i go there and uh, i'm i'm hoping that uh, it, it reopens soon so we can all all enjoy a little bit of fun mm. um now moving on just general thoughts on the US, us economy um what are the potential challenges and potential opportunities that you see on the on the horizon uh, for the economy as a whole at this point?
1: Mm-hmm. Like I said, if the economy accelerates from here and get to 5 to 6% GDP growth, it really is a game changer because it hasn't happened in so long. So clearly, I'm quite constructive on the outlook, and it's not just because of the stimulus. The pandemic has sparked a change in how companies think about the supply chain, how much buffer inventory they may need, how to keep the customers engaged and maintain a strong brand when no one is leaving the house. So everybody is going to continue to invest in the infrastructure, especially in information technology, so that they can be more adaptable. Digital transformation has actually accelerated for companies of all sizes. Um, So in software, cybersecurity, networking, they're all going to continue to benefit. On the hardware side, we're going to, Begin to see some onshoring of manufacturing. You know, we've shifted a ton of manufacturing to overseas locations in the past 20 years. If that tide turns, we're going to be providing a lot more higher paying jobs for the middle class. For example, Taiwan Semiconductor is building one of the most state-of-the-art semiconductor fab in Arizona because the U.S. customers are demanding it. So it's all very exciting.
0: Yeah, we definitely live in a very exciting time, Um, and and your points are very well received. I just think about our small firm and the changes we've made in the past year, Um, you know, doing most meetings via Zoom and and, uh, online and bolstering cybersecurity efforts in the whole nine yards. Um, And I don't see us going backwards at any point soon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, In terms of
1: challenges, we have plenty. (laughs) Yeah. You always have to be balanced in how you think about the world.
0: (laughs) Otherwise Um, you'll go crazy, right? (laughs) Yes,
1: yes. But that's why there's are correction from time to time, right? So our national debt will likely be larger than our annual GDP for the first time in history. So that's a little concerning. So at some point, we need to start lowering our twin deficits. Unemployment may stay elevated until we fully resume normal economic activity. So the rollout of the vaccine is very important. We do currently have a very vibrant stock market, maybe a little bit too vibrant, um, and that's good for consumer sentiment, but it will correct at some point because it always does. The most important thing for any investor is to stay invested and maintain a portfolio that suits their needs. So small cap growth is always a must-have allocation.
0: Absolutely. Um, A diversified portfolio, that's what we recommend, and and that's what's been proven to work best over time.
1: Don't try Um, to time it.
0: Yeah, it's easy to, um, what we refer to as a technical term, blow your leg off by accident when you try to time the market.
1: Well, because it's always the best time to get in when it seems the scariest. When everybody says it's a no-brainer, it's time to take some profits.
0: And it feels like we're at that stage.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I don't know. I I try not to make market predictions because timing is impossible, which is why you want to rebalance. If growth had worked too well for you in your portfolio in 2020, it's okay to rebalance a little bit back to value. If the economy is indeed stronger than expected, there will be a period in which value could perform quite well. You just have to have the right manager. Because active management is extremely important in this environment. There are clear winners and losers. Do not buy an ETF.
0: I couldn't agree more in this environment. Um, active active management uh, makes a lot of sense to us and, and to me personally. And, you know, looking at, uh, again, your track record in small cap growth specifically, um handily beating the index over pretty much any period you look at. It's it's pretty amazing what you've done. Um, and again, it, it's, it's great that you joined us today. Uh, the, the clients and, and friends of our firm that use your funds, I think will really enjoy the information that you shared with us uh, today. So on that note, um, just a, a parting note, if Clients, friends of the firm um, of ours are thinking about small cap growth or thinking about your fund. Uh, what are some parting thoughts you would like to leave with those folks? Mm-hmm.
1: I would say if you have a small cap growth allocation, you should also consider a small cap value allocation and rebalance from time to time. And once you decide how much in small cap total is appropriate for your needs, stick with it. Don't touch it. That's I love it. it.
0: <laughs> great advice well samantha again thank you so much for joining us today um, and folks if you'd like more information about uh, alliance bernstein or small cap growth strategy please don't hesitate to uh, visit the website alliance bernstein.com or give us a call and we're happy to point you in the right direction so folks that'll do it for today thank you and uh, thanks samantha for joining us today
1: thank you todd it's nice to catch up
0: the information in this podcast is presented for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed to those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Gordon Asset Management LLC, its producers, hosts, or guests. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Gordon Asset Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints on this podcast.